Well, hello, folks, and welcome to We the Peeps. This is, of course, the American Soccer Podcast, in which you are going to get to know everything that you need to know about the Good Nats, the USWNT. Welcome on in. I'm Clayton, and I'm a rapper. I am Kwame, and I'm a doctor. And we love the Nats. And the Olympics. Yay, yay! It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Welcome on in, folks, to this uh, She the Peeps, the never-ending miniseries that, that is to be, um, where we will cover the, the good nats getting into qualifying for the Olympics. Um, fantastic. How's that feel, Kwame? Yeah, it feels pretty good. I think most people uh, felt it was, uh, you know, we all but locks, but, you know, you have to do it on the field and we have done it. So it feels good. We have done it. And as fans, it feels good to get to watch a few games, some competitive games. Uh, Definitely always appreciate that. Um, So without further ado, we'll get into this. But hold on. Let me actually do a little bit further ado. You've got housekeeping, of course. Uh, folks, follow us on Twitter at WTPPod. If you want to exchange opinions, have this be more of a two-way street, please do reach out to us. Talk to us. What do you think? What do you think about the Sodes? And as per usual, please do shoot us a five-star review on whatever podcast app you are tuned into. It really helps us. It really helps us out. It means a lot to us on a personal, emotional, and sentimental level. So please do that. End of housekeeping so Kwame let's dive right into it let's uh let's just start with your your very brief like first impressions right after the final whistle I felt that the U.S. um was rusty you could tell that there had been a long layoff um but also that uh you know this is clearly a very strong team that beat a lot of uh, other teams very soundly without really getting out of, you know, first or second gear. Uh, this is a team that uh, remains very, very competitive uh, and uh, your spot is always up for grabs from someone else who's really talented, who wants it. So um, excited for the year to come. All right. So this tournament, as you mentioned, high scoring, U.S. never got scored on technically, although there was one... Uh very sus situation. Um, But U.S. kind of cruised through this in a lot of respects. As I was watching, it felt like the tension got a little bit higher uh, when we got to the semifinal versus Mexico. It felt a little bit like this is the first time this team might actually get tested, and should they lose, uh, it really would. The the stakes are pretty high, actually. So all of a sudden, there was a little bit of of perspiration on my brow, not going to lie. And what we saw from Vlatko, uh, blessed be Vlatko, welcome on in, um, in, in our first real opportunity to see Vlatko's coaching in competition, we saw him put the exact same lineup as he did all throughout the World Cup. Context, uh, throughout the tournament, he started almost every single player on this roster. Um, and yet, when the, when the pressure got higher, we saw that, that classic World Cup roster. What do you make of that? How much can we read into that? And are we seeing a Vlatko that's really going to do something different? Or is this a sign of uh, things to come? Uh, I thought that um, basically reverting to the World Cup lineup uh, in that semifinal 
was more or less Vlaco being pragmatic um, and recognizing that this team was rusty, that he hadn't had a lot of time with them to implement a whole lot of new things, and that if he tried to implement something new and it went awry and uh, you know we got unlucky or Mexico got lucky, we could lose out of the Olympics. So he went back to basically muscle memory for this team and said, mm-hmm. this is the team that won mm-hmm. the World Cup. Just kind of do what you do. Don't think about it. Just win. Uh, and that's basically what the team did. But as you said, he did a lot of experimentation um, in the lineup, um, not so much with formation, but basically everyone played except for uh, Adriana French. Um, now it was a smaller roster than the World Cup, so you're drawing on fewer. But basically everyone played. Um, uh, the Some of the bigger stars, uh, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath, uh, actually got relatively little playing time compared to other attacking players. Um, Carly Lloyd got a fair amount, but definitely other people got to feature at center forward. So I think Vlatko uh, was trying to balance a little bit here between uh, the old and the new. And But I don't think we can take too much away from the fact that he went with that tried and true lineup other than that was the one game that really mattered. Uh, yeah. And if we look at what he did in the friendlies against Sweden and Costa Rica a couple of months back where he did play around with formation and, uh, and other things, I think that's a little bit more what we'll see. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? This is not a team that is, ex- even if you go back to the world cup roster team, right? It's not a team that's expected to lose. So it's a it's a safe bet for him as he makes this transition. Yeah, I thought doing that was a safe bet. It was a, it was absolutely a safe bet. It was it was going to be comfortable for the team. Uh, and yeah, I I didn't have I, it was probably it was the wise thing to do. Uh, if he'd done something different, it would have been crazy. But it was it was the wise thing to do. I just don't think that um, we can read much into it other than uh, you know this was a team that was rusty and. If he had tried to do something new with them, it's not clear that everyone would have gotten it and been on the same page. It you know just because it takes time. So, yeah, yeah. I th- you know I think he could have. There is a world in which a coach takes over this team and like and does that. You know, and and if you look at the results with some of these experimental lineups, it's like it's it's, it's pretty reasonable to think that any of these lineups could have won that game. Um, but I also think there's there's like a lot of personalities at play, and he's he's. He's uh, wielding a very powerful, what's, what's the word? He's sort of at the helm of a very large ship, let's say. This, this team is not something to be like um, tampered with, you know, without much regard, let's say. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a weight of past achievement and credibility uh, that, yeah. And, I, and I, I, when he came in, I think that was part of his part of his approach and part of what was in his public statements is that, you know, he'd been watching this team. He didn't want to necessarily uh, tear everything down. He wanted to make sure that the U S kept advancing, kept progressing. And I think that's what he wants to do, but the, the, the whole risk reward um, balance in this particular game uh, and this tournament to a degree, but this particular game, it just wasn't, it just wasn't there, um, yeah, but I'm yeah. excited to see what he does in upcoming friendlies where, uh, you know, there aren't those same stakes. Yeah. 
So we shall see uh, what comes of this. It, this tournament, Kristen Press played really well and stood out in a way that I don't think she did at the World Cup. Um, wins the golden ball, um, scores some absolute highlight reel shiners, some stunners. Uh, do you think that at the end of the day, she deserved to win the golden ball? And if not Press, then who? Uh, I think she deserved it. I think that, um, uh, you know, Kristen Press has been uh, a player that's been a consistent um, person who's featured with the national team, but always on the fringes of being a star. And she's shown in flashes what she can do. Um, But I think various coaches have struggled to figure out exactly where to place her. Is she a center forward? Is she a winger? Um, she can score some spectacular goals, but I think at times she sometimes, um, missed more simple, uh, opportunities. Um, but I think that she started to feature a little bit in the world cup more, uh, when Rapino was struggling with fitness and, you know, she scored that big goal against England. Uh, and I think that that really has been a boost of confidence for her. Uh, and I think that she, so to come back, I think she did deserve the golden ball. I mean, you could argue that, uh, other players, um, also might've deserved it. I think you can argue that Lindsay Horan, uh, deserved it. Cause she, you know, she was the leading scorer for the team. Uh, you could argue that, uh, Julie Ertz, who remains, especially if we're in that fourth eight three remains the beating heart of the team. Um, you could argue that she deserved it, but, you know, I think most people would say, that you know, Kristen Press had one fewer goal, I think, than Haran, uh, and but some of her goals were just really special, and she stood out. They were so good, dude. Just from from like kind of the idiot's perspective over here, it was she. She just like I and I. I feel like I've been waiting for her to erupt a little more, mm-hmm. and it was really exciting to see that, man. I think I think there's this is just a there's a wealth of talent here that makes it possible for someone like her to disappear, which otherwise wouldn't be the case you know she's a perfect example of someone who is getting enough credit but maybe doesn't get as as many chances to change games as some other players who have been you know a little better than her just by a little bit you know what i mean yeah you know i think that um press has gotten fewer opportunities and and one of the narratives about the jill ellis era perhaps uh, especially recently has been a little bit about rotation and who's gotten opportunities and you know we've talked about that mostly in terms of goalkeeper but you know other things uh other things as well um there have been times where people have gotten one or two games and if they didn't if they didn't prove themselves in the one or two games then she would go back to the to the favorite um we could say that at fullback with Casey Short and Emily Fox um you know, we could say that to a degree with Kristen Press. Um, you know, I think that I think back over the last year or so and that in preparation for the World Cup and one of the best individual goals from the center forward that we saw was Kristen Press in a friendly against Spain, I think about a year ago, where she basically picked up the ball at the half field line and drove at the goal, out dribbled like three players and, and beat the goalie in a game that where the U.S. was really struggling to score. So, um, you know, she's got this in her locker, uh, and I'm certainly glad we're seeing it now. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of opportunities she gets, whether she, and where she plays on the field, and who she nudges out. Does she, you know, does she get a lot of opportunities at center forward? Is she on the wings? Uh, and this also ties into: uh, Does Vlaco stay with the four four three three? And I suspect that he doesn't. Um, I, you know, he may, but I suspect that he doesn't, or at least has more formations that we uh that we you know come into games with that maybe uh you know feature Christian press a little bit more so quick sidebar what are the what are the kind of most prescient tactical differences uh that you're seeing from Vladko at this point between well, Vladko you know, and Joe it's, Ellis it's hard to say cuz we haven't seen that many right so we've seen we've seen two friendlies and then we've seen this tournament and, you know, it's hard to take too much from this tournament. As I said, the, the U.S. team was really rusty. Um, you know, before this, there had been the talent identification camp where it was all non-World Cup, excuse me, non-World Cup players. Uh, and so he hasn't had much time to put in new things. Um, so... It's hard to take too much away from this tournament. I would say that um, in the friendlies against Sweden and Costa Rica, you know, we saw a different formation. Uh, I think we saw perhaps a little bit more of a tendency to um, be positionally difficult to break down uh, in terms of our defensive um Structure not in a not in a bunkered sort of way, but in a you can't pass your way through our lines way. We're going to frustrate you. What are you going to do? And then when we have the ball, we're kind of already on you. So that may be a little bit more of what yeah. of what of what Matt Flacco is about. Uh, but it's it's you know it's it's early, and I think also it's very possible that he doesn't really know just yet hmm. what he wants to do. Uh, I think people have been describing him a little bit as like a kid in a candy store. Uh, you know, he's been a very <laughs> inventive, tight. good coach with uh, you know Seattle Rain, uh, and has really had a lot of success. But he usually would have you know maybe like three or four uh, national team caliber players from the U.S. or other national teams, and now he's got you know, a full roster of, you know, 20 plus, and he can call in, you know, there's maybe 40 people uh, who you could legitimately say have a shot at this team. So I think that he is going to, he's going to figure out what works best. And maybe relish it a little bit at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think we're going to see a coach that is, has one kind of settled thing and sticks with that. For, for years and years yeah yeah ellis didn't do that either she had a lot of a lot a lot of things uh just in case you know because you can you can with a roster like this well she so, had a lot of things just in case for the for the world cup but also in the years before that you know she did she did experiment a bit you know we were in a back three for a while and uh, there were a few other things that we tried uh i don't think that any of them were very extended experiments is what i would mm. say about mm. about ellis um and you know it's too early to see what is going to happen with flotko but uh he seems a little bit more of a tinkerer to me mm. i hear that so he's got some tough choices to make it's going to get pretty tight going into the olympics which are now official sweet 
Uh, we're going to go from 20 down to 18 for this tournament. A lot of tough decisions to make. Was there anything that you saw uh, over these stretch of games that maybe crystallizes some of what's going to happen? How do you think uh, Vlaco is going to go about this? Yeah, you know, it is it is interesting. You know, so we did talk in a way just now about how much Vlatko kept the same. Uh, but in this tournament, um, there were five players that were that were there were five players from the World Cup roster that didn't make it into this tournament roster. Now, part of that was that this is a smaller roster that we were only allowed to bring 20 as opposed to 23 at the World Cup. Um, and but, the, you know, the five players that were at the World Cup that weren't at the Olympic qualifying tournament were Alex Morgan. Her absence is explained by her pregnancy. Uh, Tierna Davidson, uh, who's recovering uh, from an injury right now. Um, and then uh, Ali Long didn't make it. Morgan Bryan didn't make it. Uh, and Mallory Pugh didn't make the cut. Uh, and then the two new faces That's, that kind yeah, of Yeah, the, the Mal Pugh in, thing I think is a little know, bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people. Well, I think that is, I think it surprised a lot of people. I think um, uh, personally, I think that Morgan Bryan and Ali Long not making the team That's, uh, that makes were, some not, sense. were not surprises to yeah. me. You know, they were kind of <laughs> late additions to the Olympic roster. They were kind of on yeah. the fringes. I mean, they're not, you know, um, you know, Morgan Bryan is, I think, 27. You know, she's still in her prime. I think Alex, Ali Long is a little older, but still very much free featuring for her NWSL team. But, you know, I think that those were um, the choices that we thought were probably most likely. Um, and they were excluded and for the, to make space in a sense for Andy Sullivan, uh, who is a very strong up and coming uh, kind of num- number six. Uh, you know, we talked a lot in the, build up to the World Cup and during the World Cup that we didn't really have a natural replacement for Julie Ertz. Uh, Andy Sullivan uh, is the natural placement f- replacement for Julie Ertz. They're different players. Andy Sullivan's a little bit more of a ball player, uh, sort of positional defensive um, number six than like a, you know, destroy all, destroy all monsters um, that Julie Ertz is. Uh, but but she's very good. And then Lynn Williams uh, is an incredibly talented attacking player. Absolute uh, fire. Lynn Williams was awesome to watch. She was great to watch. She's always been someone who's been an incredible athlete, incredibly fast, incredibly attacking. Uh, and in the past, in her appearances for the national team, she's been one of those players that... Um, you know, they get in great positions. They have all the physical uh, talent in the world, but they can't finish. And that had previously been the tale of Lynn Williams with the national team. But she has been playing for North Carolina in the NWSL, uh, back-to-back champions, arguably the best coach in the NWSL uh, with Paul Riley. I mean, they're very good coaches, and, you know, there are others that are probably on his level. But you can clearly see over the last few years that she has markedly improved in terms of her finishing uh, and her attacking play and her awareness on the field. And so her coming into the team and, you know, being able to show uh, what she's about and some of her um, some of her talents was really welcome. And it was also really welcome to see Andy Sullivan, although she didn't get to feature all that much just because Julie Ertz is so is so key. The absence of Mallory Pugh, 
uh, is, again, as you said, a wake-up call to her. I think a wake-up call uh, to the entire team um, that there are some hard cuts coming and some people aren't going to make it. Uh, I think Mallory Pugh has had a tough couple of years, both with the national team and with her club team, Washington Spirit. You know, she's had some injuries that have kept her out for a bit. Um, she, uh, I think, has not really had great kind of signature moments. Uh, and I, I, when I think about Mallory Pugh, she really burst on the scene, right, as like a 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she's still, I think she may only be like 21 or 22 She's right got now. plenty she's of still, time. This is she's kind still of a perfect incredibly time. young. This is a perfect time for her to have a little bit of a down spell, right? Because uh, you need that, I think, to become a fully fledged, you know, mature player. You need to go through some hard times. I think this is a bit of a reset. And my, my take on Mallory Pugh a little bit is that um, I think that she really, uh, I don't know if she's always had the greatest coaching. Uh, or I wonder if she's always had the greatest coaching. And I'm not talking about with the national team. But, you know, she she never played in college. She briefly committed to UCLA, but then turned pro uh, before ever playing for UCLA. And I think she'd always intended to turn pro, but uh, her rights were held by the Washington Spirit, who at the time did not have the greatest reputation, did not have the greatest owner. And uh, I think there was hesitation on her part to to commit and play but then she actually eventually did and i'm not sure that she's always had the strongest coaching in terms of her development so would she, she seems like a player that's a coaching in college uh i think she would have um i think that there is very strong coaching in college in the women's game um, you know, it's it's the quality of coaching is very high. It's perhaps the amount of time that they're allowed to spend with the players. Um, but if you look at, sure, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of the great players on the team, you know, they've come through, they've come through the college system, and then also with like the youth national team, uh, UCLA, yeah. where she was going to play, cranks out a lot of great, uh, cranks out a lot of great coaches players. She could have gone to Stanford, I'm sure. She could have gone to North Carolina. Um, so, and then also if she'd been on a different NWSL team and here I am speaking with a little bit, uh, of ignorance this is just sort of my feel. Cause I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of her early games with the Washington spirit. Um, and they have sort of new coaching and I think maybe a new owner now or a different kind of setup. But to me, you know, she's been someone who's been played kind of as an attacker on the wing, um, and early on was a player I think that really relied on her natural uh, speed and and attacking gifts. Uh, but as the level rises and and those things aren't as overpowering um, uh, as you're playing professionals as you're playing you know stronger national teams, that uh, she's been a little bit lost. Uh, I think she is the parallel I would draw with her. And I, I, we always hesitate, I think, on this show to, to you know, always com- to compare women's players with men's players as if, you know, that somehow, you know, is, is uh, you know, the natural comparison to make. But I think sometimes it's illuminating for other soccer fans. So I think about her very similarly to uh, the way I think about Alex Oxley chamberlain who broke mm. through at Arsenal 
And uh, I think with the English and England national team at a very young age, um, but then kind of stalled uh, a little bit in his career with Arsenal and then went to Liverpool uh, and has more or less been converted to an attacking midfielder uh, and is, you know, kind of grown in leaps and bounds. And I think that might actually be where Mallory Pugh more naturally plays. So the right coach, the right coach parallel as well, right? Getting with Klopp and like really coming along. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the parallel also holds and applies because uh, recently the NWSL had their draft and there were a lot of trades as a part of that. And one of the things that happened was that Mallory Pugh was traded from the Washington Spirit uh, to Sky Blue FC, uh, who uh, has a new owner and a new GM and is going to be playing at uh, the Red Bull Arena and training at the Red Bull facility where previously, uh, and this is this is a huge turnaround because a couple of years ago, Sky Blue FC was the team that no one wanted to play for. Literally, players that they drafted love it. Love went, it. Went went to Sweden because they were like, "I'm not playing for this team." There were reports <laughs> that there were reports that when they went to train uh, in the locker rooms, there were no hot water for their yeah, showers. I mean, after obviously, the game. I don't love that, but I love the turnaround. Right. I love the turnaround. We love the turnaround, but it was just really, really bad. And now yeah, yeah. there's this huge sort of turnaround. Mallory Pugh's going there. It's a good situation. She's probably going to be, she's going to be partnering up with uh, Carly Lloyd. Uh, you know, they traded also for, um, you know, for some other players and they traded for like McCall's or Boney. Uh, so it's going to be an exciting time and I'm excited to see yeah, what awesome. comes from Mallory Pugh. And we also know that Vlatko is a coach that pays a lot of attention to the NWSL. So if she has a really strong season with the NWSL, she could make her way back into this roster, even though it is shrinking down to 18. We never know what's going to happen with injuries. We never know. We don't know what um, what Vlaco is going to do for formation. Even though she didn't make the 20-person roster, she was the only person that was cut that stayed with the team and trained with the team. So she was basically like the, the plus one in the 20 plus one. So she's, you know, if anything happened, she's like the next one. She was the next one on that roster. So she's not far away. Uh, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't think this by any means means that, okay, she's, she's out. She's or out. Anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Or anything, if anything like it's that. like a, ta- it's a coach. It, se- it strikes me as a coaching tactic to, you know, not only to the group to say, Hey, stay on your game you know, because anything's possible, but also to her to say, show me what you can do in the league and, and then we'll talk, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Vlaco so, is definitely, the reputation Vlaco definitely has is as a straight shooter, that he will tell every player exactly where they stand, exactly what he wants them to work on, exactly what he thinks their strengths are. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that he had Mallory Pugh, like, in the team, I think in part was to be like, hey, this is what I need you to be doing. This is yeah. what I need you to be doing, you know, and, and, and part of all of that. It says a lot that he wants that time with her to, to, work, to work on... Um... What, you know, whatever it is that his his brain is seeing, that that mm-hmm. is the missing piece, you know. So let's. I, I want to rein us back into the the qualifying tournament. Um, U.S. over twenty goals scored, uh, none conceded. Is there anything to read into this about the state of the women's game in the Concacaf region? Well, you know, there. Are, I think there are several good things that we can take away from yeah. this CONCACAF Let's tournament. hear those. I want to um, hear those. 
you know, so the U.S. and Canada qualified, and that's pretty much what everyone expected. Um, but there are a number of teams that are on the rise. Um, you know, Costa Rica uh, is a really improving team. Um, they lost one nothing to Canada in their semifinal game, and I think Canada scored in like the seventy fifth minute or something like that. So you know, it was. Uh, and Costa Rica had, you know, not a ton of chances, but certainly could have eked out a 1-0 victory and it wouldn't have been undeserved and it could have been them going to the Olympics. Uh, I think it was a really a big surprise and a shock that they didn't qualify for the World Cup out of CONCACAF and that uh, I think Jamaica uh, uh, got that spot um, and I think Panama as well. Uh, so Costa Rica was really good um, and... Uh, there's started to be a lot of growth in their game. Uh, you know, their best player is probably Rocky Rodriguez, who uh, played in the U.S. in college and actually won the uh, the Mac Herman Trophy for you know for the ble- for the best um, you know for the best player in college that year. And she took her team Penn State uh, nice. to a national championship, which is, and Penn State is not a perennial power. Uh, and uh, one of the best, maybe the Kristen Press had some great goals, but maybe the best goal of the tournament was by uh, a Costa Rican player, I think Shirley Cruz, um, who did a full volley off of a corner kick, uh, uh, just, you know, just golazo. Um, so I gotta that was that. really exciting. F- follow us on Twitter at WTP pod. When I find it, I'll, I'll repost. Yeah, it was a great goal. Um, I think that also um, uh, we could really be excited about Haiti. Uh, so the U.S. beat Haiti four to nothing in our first game. Probably it should have been four to one. Uh, Haiti scored on an Olympico corner kick that uh, was really kind of a screw up by the U.S. defense and, and so, goalie, uh, but yeah. it was somehow ruled off. <laughs> it was somehow ruled out for reasons uh, <laughs> offsides. There must maybe, be reasons. even though it was off a corner kick and no this, one. It's one of those it. moments you wish refs did press conferences. Like not mad, but just what? <laughs> like what? Yeah, happened? or even just, or even just released a you know a game summary, something as yeah, to, yeah. you know as something. So we really don't know. So they really were deserving of a goal, but. Haiti, uh, you know, really, we scored on them in like the fourth minute. Uh, but then we didn't score again, I think, until like the 60th, maybe 65th or 70th minute. Uh, and then t- when we when they really started to tire, they were a really young team, uh, maybe average age, I think of like 20, maybe a lot of 16, 17 year old, 20 year old um, and uh, a really promising athletic team that seemed to be quite well coached uh, and really could be you know, a force to be reckoned with. Jamaica struggled in this tournament, um, but, uh, you know, I think more was expected of them after their uh, World Cup appearance. Um, But the fact that they, the fact that they did struggle, uh, particularly against Mexico, uh, shows that there's kind of like a a growing, developing kind of second tier uh, below the U.S. and Canada. And that second tier is getting closer than it was before. Uh, so those are all good things. I think the the bad things are if nothing comes of this. So mm. often mm. what has happened historically in the past with these teams, aside from the U.S., uh, is that they really don't play uh, aside from these big tournaments, aside from Olympic qualifying tournament and uh, and World Cup qualifying tournament. 
and that they may go for years without their federation getting their act together and uh, putting them in competitive games. And you just can't grow as a team if you're not playing uh, all the time. One of the strengths of the U.S. right is that we play all the time. We have all these friendlies all over, all over the country. You know, we've got the She Believes Cup uh, coming up in March. We're going to be playing. Uh, Japan, Spain, and Germany, I believe. Uh, the following month was just announced. I think we have uh, friendlies against Australia and Brazil. We're constantly bringing in these uh, teams to the U.S. and we're constantly getting you know high level competition and, and trying out different players and have a sense of a team. Uh, this Haiti team, uh, if they don't play another game as a team for a year, a year and a half. Uh, maybe longer, they're going to stall, uh, and that that would be a tragedy. Now, uh, FIFA uh, has promised a lot of money. Uh, I think you know they've said sort of billions of dollars for development of the women's <laughs> of the women's of dollars. Game. Pinky yeah, to the lip, right? Pinky to the lip of to pinky to several lips, um, and <laughs> That's and gross. but you know but we have to see. Well, what I mean by that is like they're they're. <laughs> There are definitely many evil, evil right. kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> multiple cronies, <laughs> right, ready to kind of siphon off that money before it gets to yeah, yeah. the players. I mean, we, we've seen that FIFA is quite corrupt. We've seen that CONCACAF is quite corrupt. We've seen that these federations often just the budget, Kwame, don't the care budget about is women's. tight for bribes. We, I'm not sure yeah. if we can spare it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's that's the situation. Yeah. But so what I'm really hoping for and what I think we really need to um, look out for is if this promised money actually gets to these federations and actually allows them to play friendlies. I mean, Canada, even even though they have plenty of money, they they hardly play any any friendlies. Um, you know, they, they may do like a couple a year. Um uh, you know, I was listening to another podcast, I think the Equalizer podcast, and they were talking about the fact that so one of the things that happened during this Olympic qualifying tournament was that Christine Sinclair broke the all time record for, you know, for international goal score. She passed Abby Wambach um, and she did it, uh, I think, against Kitts and Nevis in a stadium in Texas where, you know, there were maybe I think there were a couple hundred people um, and they were pointing out like you knew that she was on the verge of breaking this record. Why not have a couple of friendly games in Vancouver or Toronto and have her break this all time scoring record for both men and women at the international level is this huge record. Why not have her break it on her home soil as the celebration, as a way to launch the Canadian team into the Olympics it's a it's a no brainer and they didn't do it and so then she gets she breaks the record in this in this other way which is kind of you know sort of a ignominious and doesn't field. right and doesn't and doesn't allow you know canada to be to be fueled uh so i there's a lot of administrative ways in which uh concacaf and federations have been failing what can the us do about it uh so i was thinking about this and you know the, the us plays a lot of friendlies we play them mostly on home soil and we mostly play them against, you know, fairly big teams or, you know, one tier kind of below us. Um, we don't go on the road a lot. We certainly don't go on the road in CONCACAF. Um, and 
one of my thoughts was what if the U.S. made a commitment to play more games on the road in CONCACAF? Um, you know, I think huh. part of the hesitation is that we often, you know, we often, like yeah, we often, I think maybe hesitate because we don't necessarily feel fully challenged by these teams. Um, and maybe we don't want to, you know, sort of blow out, let's say, you know, Guatemala, like sure, but nothing. Well, well if in I can Guatemala. just, if I can just interject, there's 50 players that are, could be good enough to play for the women's national team. Why not just stack the schedule have roster B and roster C travel, you know, screw it. Send an assistant coach, like whatever, but just have all these, all these players come out to these countries and get the activity going and get the spotlight there and the attention there. And the, the side benefit of that would be um, to, to have more players get seen and get a chance to wear the Jersey and get caps and, you know, all, all that good stuff. I'm, I'm just kind of, that, you yeah. you absolutely read my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, we don't necessarily have to take our A team, you know, to these to these tournaments um, or to these friendlies. But you know, we can field a very we've we're very deep. We can take a very competitive team to these places. It would draw media attention in these countries. Hey, the world champions. I mean, just the way like in the U.S. Right? When when do we get these big turnout? When when Brazil comes into town? Right? When you know, when Colombia comes into town. And it they would can be, play their B squad. F- it's fine with us. You know, bring one starter. We'll, we're down. Yeah. Or, you know, however, however it came about, right? But if the U.S. Yeah. came into town, right, and sort of demanded, and, and but also has the clout to demand from CONCACAF, demand from FIFA, to say, hey, we're coming down, uh, you know, to play these series of friendlies. Let's say, you know, we're going to play Guatemala and idea. Honduras in idea. Guatemala it's so City. so interventionist, I must yeah. say, but it's actually, I feel like it could work. Yeah, well, you know, good Latin American intervention by the U.S. for once uh, in our history. Again, <laughs> yeah, overly political, kind. right? Not the, not the horrible, you know, sort of massacring kind. <laughs> not, but, not the fucked uh, up. Yeah, let's do it right. If we're going right. to do it. <laughs> Go in, you know, have these friendlies. Uh, you know, stir up interest, force FIFA to pony up, get experience for the U.S. team. You know, also, you know, we also want to support, uh, you know, the domestic leagues, right? Because that that also build excitement for the domestic leagues. Mexico has a relatively new domestic league. Um, Costa Rica does as well for, you know, for, for the women's teams. Uh, and then also... Uh, these would be, I think, exciting things potentially if done the right way for the U.S. team. I mean, let's say we had a, you know, a friendly tournament between, uh, you know, U.S., Costa Rica and Mexico, like in Azteca. You don't think that like Megan Rapino has like dreamed of scoring scoring a golazo in the Azteca and like yeah. you know celebrating <laughs> as like the boos are coming down from the stadium and like people are chucking like you know batteries and stuff. like that's you know she has these same aspirations as like you know the the players like for the men's national team that would be i think in a you know if we incredible that thing would be fire. right yeah, that if would we be had plus, if plus was, it like, gives us more games this. to watch right it would give us more games. It would also, you know, give us more games in hostile environments. Uh, and then you just know, we, one more we thing. went in. The, yeah. If, 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 yes. The hostile environments, more training. Uh, that's better for us. 
And also, you get more of the ND- NWSL stars on, you know, TV or maybe primetime, maybe not, but, you know, on TV. And and then, like, because every time the U.S. team plays, the NWSL gets a little boost. You know what I yeah. mean? That's, a, that's, that's all part of the overall growth. Yeah. Yeah, I I would I would love to I would love to see that. So I That'd think fire. that is maybe what the maybe what the US uh you know can do. Um, All right. So I hope so. I hope you're listening um uh Kate Markgraf who makes those decisions? I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I hope she definitely attention. she definitely would have uh, some influence on that. Yeah. I think yeah. hopefully. So and she's so, great. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she has already thought about this because Kate Markgraf knows her shit. So Absolutely. So speaking of the wild, uh, wider world of soccer, um, what's coming up, right? Not just for the, the national team, but also in the NWSL. Um, anything you think people should have their, their eye out for? Um, so, you know, I mentioned the upcoming She Believes Cup, which is in March, and then the Friendlies against Australia and Brazil in April. And I think those are really going to be interesting tournaments to to look at to see okay okay what's Vlaco going to do what is he trying to accomplish in terms of formations um are we going to see other people get a shot are we going to see like kind of Casey Short um get another shot at fullback um who is going to break through um are we going to see you know Mallory Pugh come back in are we going to see Sophia Smith um you know the new wonderkind uh, who left Stanford uh, after her sophomore season and was the number one pick in the NWSL draft that just happened. Uh, and Portland, you know, sort of gave up a lot to get that number one pick to have her on the team. Uh, with the NWSL season, uh, you know, there were a lot of trades. A lot of um, a lot of U.S. players were traded. So Emily Sonnet was traded. Um uh, Midge Purse uh, was traded. As I said, Mallory Pugh uh, was traded. Uh, there's a new coach at Seattle because um, Vlaco stepped down. Laura Harvey, who was the coach at Utah, she stepped down to take over the under-20 team, which was a big surprise. So Utah has a new coach. So um, there's a lot of uh, excitement with NWSL. Also, they're going to be expanding, not this season, but the season after, adding more teams. Um, so... With the NWSL season, I think it's going to be a very interesting free-for-all. It's going to be interesting to see um, if people who have really excelled and were on the fringes and came into the talent identification camp, like uh, Kristen Hamilton and Bethany Balser, um, if we get any new goalies. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what comes up from the NWSL uh, season. Uh, and, you know, we may see some people kind of slip off of the team uh, and just, you know, become more of fixtures in the NWSL. You know, for example, Jess McDonald is, she, she had a good, she was had a good run with the team. You know, she made it to the World Cup, was on this qualifying roster, but I suspect that she probably won't make the final 18. Uh, and, but, you know, maybe she'll just then win another championship with um, North Carolina. Um, another uh, interesting aspect, I think, for the NWSL because the season hasn't quite started yet. But one of the changes this year with the NWSL was a shift in allocation money, uh, which is complicated. But the short version of it is that these teams now have more money to um, buy players, buy international players. 
um, sort of bigger name international players. So you know the team, the the league lost Sam Kerr to Chelsea um, in the you know the English league because. Uh, Chelsea offered her $400,000 and, you know, um, Chicago couldn't match that. But it looks like um, maybe there is money to splash 75000 100000 something like that on on a big player. And so maybe what, what we might start seeing is, uh, you know, some of the German players or Spanish players uh, coming into the NWSL. Uh, and what does that do to the league? What does that do to the competitive balance? Uh, so that and and is money as it comes into the club game as well as the international game. Are we going to see more freedom of movement in a in a sense? Uh, that's a bit of an aside and a, and a tangent, but that that's sort of what came to mind as you were asking this question. Oh yeah, there's a there's a lot to look out for, folks. Stay very much tuned. Any last words, Kwame, before we sign off for the moment? Um, I, you know, I think that we didn't, one of the things we didn't touch on and one of the things I think is going to be answered over the next couple of months is the, the veterans, are they going to get one more run at the Olympics before retiring or has their time kind of passed with this world cup and we're going to see new blood. And so, you know, what I think that most directly relates to is um, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Kelly O'Hara to an extent, Becky Sauerbrunn. Really big names make up a lot of kind of like the spine and attack of this team. Um, but at times, perhaps struggled a bit during the World Cup. I mean, we're excellent, but struggle at times. Um, are perhaps um, not um, as not as fit as they were like a sort of like a few years ago. I think Megan Rapino has sort of struggled to be ninety minutes fit recently, um, and they're they're all wanting to be part of this Olympics, and then maybe you know, and then maybe ride off into the sunset after that because there is such a long gap before the next big tournament, the next World Cup. But maybe they get that opportunity. Maybe they don't. We shall see. I'm. I'm always in. I'm mega in favor of sort of moving on. Uh, you know, all respect to the base god Megan Rapino. You know, I, I. It seemed that the hangover is harsher for those who are, let's you know, in the latter stages of their career and were most crucial in in the World Cup. Right? Like, there's. There has to be a passing of the guard, and I'm I'm all for it. But do you feel a sense of like um, impending doom about the change, or are you feeling like where where do you stand? Per, aside from what Flatco will do, yeah. Oh no, I don't feel doom at all. I think that we have with this team. I think we have really great replacements uh, for the players that I mentioned. If they can you know, if they can stay healthy. And also, you know, it may mean that we that we play a slightly different formation. You know, this 4-3-3, uh, you know, really suits Alex Morgan, really suits Megan Rapino, really suits Tobin Heath. Um, and other formations may not suit them as well. Uh, so they may, 
they may find themselves with more of a minor role to play, or they may be feature equally. Uh, I don't know, but I don't think that we're I don't think we're in a position where we're like, oh, you know, if we don't have Megan Rapinoe, you know, we're screwed, or if we don't have you know Tobin Heath, we're screwed. I mean, they're still very great players, uh, and it would it would certainly hurt our depth. But you know, by you know, by rule, you know, this this roster cut down to 18 uh, means that some some hard decisions have to be made and means that you really can't take more than maybe one player, if any, that you have any question marks about about their fitness. You know, um, you really can't uh, spare. Uh, so, you know, Alex Morgan has wanted to come back for this Olympics um, and I think some people think she's going to be on the team. I don't think she'll be on the team uh, because by the time the Olympics roll around, she'll really have gone a year without playing uh, competitive soccer. And I just don't think you could throw someone in and risk that uh, in in a team in a tournament where you have such a small roster and a tight window of time. Um, so we're you know we're going to be we're going to be fine. Uh, it has never been accomplished to win an Olympics after the year after winning a World Cup. That's exactly uh, and, why I'm all about turnaround. Right. It, it exactly. has to be that way. Yeah, it, exactly. It has to be. There has to be some. There has to be some turnover. Um, but you know, it can't be. I I'm not sure how much turnover um, is there, the, like, yeah, is like the what's right the amount? right amount? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's hard to say, but luckily you and I don't have to make that call. We just we get to watch not. and judge. That's right. <laughs> so we shall, we shall see folks as always. Thank you uh, for joining us. You know what I love is sort of that comes, that, that comes around many days out of the week, but you don't always give it the right appreciation. It is laugh tracks in sitcoms. I don't know if you're a TV dude, Kwame. Are you a TV dude? Uh, I, I am. I, I like a good TV show. <laughs> Me too. And I kind of wish that some brilliant new generation TV Netflix streaming maker would find a way to bring the laugh track back. Because I think that was that, that, that brought us all a lot of joy. Another thing I love, which can go right along with the laugh tracks, is ordering in. Uh, yeah, ordering in, <laughs> tasty meal on your couch, uh, what could be better? What could be better? Um, I would say enjoying a laugh track whilst ordering in and looking across the room to your small bag of trinkets. Uh, I, I've got one. It's a small bag and it has trinkets and they're all attached to a different memory in my life. And I love that thing, but I don't love any of that she stuff as much as I love the gnats. Let's go. Here we go. 